Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Matt Brown, extra points, always one of our best when it comes to segments on college football. Joins us, Smokey, Paul, and Craig on 365 Sports. Matt, thank you very much. Uh, What are your thoughts about where we are with the NCAA calendar, transfer portal, NIL, national signing day, bowl games, opt-outs, and it's going to get larger next year when 12 teams are going to play later in the year? Yeah, trying to do all of this in mid to late December is pretty ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for, you know, us media members who are trying to to give the attention that the games themselves deserve. Um, But it's obviously even even more ridiculous for for coaches. You know, I, I think most fans understand this, but in case you don't, if you're a team that's not playing in a in a New Year's Six game or in the college football playoff, you're playing in one of these kind of mid to late December bowl games. Um, these are not the best bowl practices you're ever going to have because half the coaching staff is looking for another job right now. Everyone's trying to finish up national signing day. And also a fifth of the roster is look is, is looking to transfer or is transferring and there's everything's in flux. And then you're also still trying to prepare for a game. It's ridiculous. But I don't know if there's an easy solution to fix any of that that's going to comply with antitrust, that's going to comply with labor rules, or that will make sense for the people that ultimately make these decisions, which are not football coaches who have to live with the reality of the world, but ADs and presidents. So, Matt, what would um, be the things that would run up against labor laws and antitrust that would make it difficult for them to change the calendar? Yeah, I, there, in a perfect world, right, you, beyond the, the transfer windows we have right now, that there are very specific times when uh, an athlete or anybody else can kind of hit the proverbial free agency market. And obviously you, like, you wouldn't do that during the playing, the, the playing calendar. I, I think in a perfect world, right, you'd have December to be about bowls and about like player retention and you have your national signing day and then you would have – the transfer portal era after that 
Um, and then you would you would reassess those depending on, on what, what coaches end up doing. But the, the, the difficulties you have here are when you try to unilaterally impose additional restrictions on, on when athletes can can leave, um, you risk a lawsuit. And, and even stuff that seemed like relatively common sense or, you know, like, like the NCAA saying, hey, you can't transfer more than once without sitting out a year. Well, that brought in seven state attorneys general, including, you know, some very different politically states to file a lawsuit and, and then it looks like they're going to win. So that's kind of the part, you know, part of the challenge of trying to establish guardrails around any of this, be that the calendar, be that roster counts, be that how this portal system works. These are all things that typically have to get, you know, hammered out in collective bargaining. Matt, one of the uh, subjects that gets brought up that I don't really know enough about. So hopefully you can shed some light. People sure. bring up, what about eligibility? Where does that fall in here? Like, can you, Force a, like a guy sue if he. I mean, how how would that even work moving forward? If, if you understand where I'm coming from here, no, this is a good question, right? So, as as I understand it, from, from talking with a couple of the the sports law people we hit up on a regular basis, like the, the one of the few places where courts are still giving the NCAA, you know, some benefit of the doubt is when it is when it comes to you know requiring a baseline level of academic eligibility that you have to take X number of classes, you have to be a bona fide student. Um, and, and that has not been, you know, uh, attacked by judges, even in these, these very aggressive anti-NCAA rulings, which isn't to say that that could change or couldn't change in a couple of years. You know, oh, I, I could also see a world, given where these cases are going, where somebody sues and says, why should I have to stop playing college sports after five years? Right. When, right? Like, I'm going to make more money from NIL, um, than I would playing as a professional or playing elsewhere. I'm still a student in good standing. Why can't I play for six or seven? That's an unfair you know, cap on my ability to earn a living. And six years ago, we would have laughed that lawsuit out of the courtroom. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think we can at this point because so much of the, um, the difference that the NCAA has enjoyed from the legal system is really being not just chipped away, but really like sandblasted away, power washed away. Matt, is it almost as if there's the dam breaks or you know it's going to break or whatever it might be, uh, the door's going to bust down and you know it's going to bust down, but you're too lazy to fix it. And then once <laughs> it does, it's too late to fix it. That is kind of where we are. And I don't necessarily know if it's if lazy is the right word, but one of, one of the kind of challenges in governing college sports right now is that it can be difficult to point and say, this thing is this guy's responsibility. Like, if you think that U.S. civics is complicated and trying to figure out how a bill becomes a law and it's this lawmaker, but actually it's their chief of staff, and it turns out that everything's really run by some 23-year-old doofus that, like, is the one who actually wrote the bill, the NCAA is nine times more complicated than that. And so, yeah, I think coaches and athletic directors and most presidents and most smart reporters and most fans realize the, the door is breaking. But then the question is, whose responsibility is it to address it or to fix it? And it isn't really something that an individual AD can, can, can do, at least not publicly. Coaches have very little meaningful influence on how any of this stuff works. The conference commissioners don't want to pr uh, promote a solution that might disadvantage their league relative to the others. Everybody's pointing to Congress, and then Congress is pointing back to the NCAA. If I knew how to fix it, I'd be in a very different line of work but because this is so decentralized 
uh, it's easy for a lot of people to say, we know the problem, but the responsibility ultimately lies somewhere else until it's too late. So, uh, Matt, I, I proposed a fix last week to the to the calendar, but every everything you say has something like move the early signing day to July or just get rid of it. Well, then that 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 probably has something. Move the you know give academic waivers because you still have to to do that and you have to do all these things. It, there's not really a solution to to fix any of this without. Each, you know, if it's a five to ten step process, each ten, each of those steps, like having a major roadblock. I, I, that's how I understand it right now. And not just the roadblock. It also just takes time because it's not something where all the coaches can get together, you know, after the college football national championship game, endorse a proposal and have it approved in the calendar in, in, in late February or even voted at the NCAA convention in January. It, it, it typically takes a lot longer than that. Um, my hope, and I, I think I speak for almost everybody that works in or around college athletics, my hope is that some level of tweaks can go into effect, even if you can't fix all of the problems. I, for my money, I think just getting rid of the, the, the December national signing period completely would, would help more than it would hurt. But um, it's such a labyrinth, Byzantine legislative process. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to bet on anything happening quickly. Matt, can you break down or uh, help everybody out there understand the significance and potential magnitude of the NLRB hearing that uh, opened the day focusing on yeah. uh, whether or not uh, athletes are employees and, and kind of what this means as this now moves forward in the courts? Yeah, and, and I, I have a lot of sympathy for fans that are like, look, man, <laughs> I'm a college football fan because specifically because I don't want to have to think about things like antitrust or right. court cases, right? That's the rest of my life. But unfortunately, that is part of the deal here. The National Labor Relations Board is an you know, administrative law body here that's trying to de- determine if uh, men's football, basketball, uh, and women's basketball players uh, within not just USC and not just what's left of the Pac-12, but potentially all of the NCAA are, in fact, employees, and there's not going to be a final decision rendered whenever this particular hearing ends. There's going to be appeals. It's going to go back and forth. It'll, this, this process will stretch out throughout 2024. But in the event the NCAA loses, which I believe is very possible, not a sure thing, but it's very possible, then you're going to see an immediate massive change in not just the kind of NIL industrial complex, but you're going to see enormous changes in how every single Division One athletic department allocates and spends money and what kind of football program, what kind of athletic department they want to be. Because if an athlete is an employee, well, at the very least, they're due minimum wage and payroll taxes and Social Security and workers' comp and, 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 and any other level of independent benefits, which will be a, a cost factor. Um, presumably then in most places, maybe not in all of the South, but in most places they'll have the opportunity to bargain to create a union, to, to, to push for more than minimum wage, which I think all of us could agree, if they are employees, they're, they're, they should be paid more than 9 bucks or 10 bucks an hour. Um, and then suddenly you're looking at $8, 10 dollars $30 million more in expenses for a major athletic department. And so now you have some very difficult questions. Can you afford to sponsor more than the minimum NCAA sports? Um, can you afford to do a dramatic 
reallocation of how you're spending money. The, you know, the, the days of, of um, a football coach at a place like Baylor or Houston or TCU making, making 8 million bucks. Those days are over. The second any of these athletes are ruled employees, the days of an, of a college sports offensive coordinator making $1.5 million will not function, will not exist in a world where you have to pay the athletes beyond scholarship and room and board. There's simply not enough money. There's a reason why that, that doesn't happen in any other level of professional sports outside of the, the elite of the elite. Um, so it's, it's hard to overstate just how much that would reshape everything in college athletics. I'm telling you guys, if it's not the NLRB, it's coming one way or another. Matt, where did you get all of your legal knowledge? Did, did you study law or is this something that you, like a lot of us, I, it's way above my pay grade, but you just found a way to soak it all in? Or is there something in your background that allowed this to be easier to understand? You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, I, I didn't go to journalism school. I have a degree in political science. I kind of fell into this industry in the back end. And I work, I was, I never went to law school, but I worked around the legal profession for a little while. Um, I, I, but I, it, with this beat, right, off the field st- stories in college football, mm-hmm. college sports, that's what I do. That requires you to kind of cross train a lot of different things. I, I joke with people the first year I launched this newsletter. Man, I, I, my, my knowledge of biology was the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, and I got a C-minus in some kind of biology class at Ohio State a decade ago. But I had to learn to be an epidemiologist because COVID is suddenly the most important thing in the world, right? Now that media rights valuations is a major part of, of, of this beat, I, I, I'm not ready to work for Navigate, but I had to learn a lot about it. And because my publication – is read by so many university professors. That means that I, I've you know, become introduced to a lot of law professors, a lot of people that are attorneys as part of these cases. And they reach out to me and I talk to them. And sometimes it's just like, look, I'm, let, me, let me spend an hour and ask a bunch of dumb questions mm. so then I can translate all this stuff in plain English to the rest of my audience. I, I don't want to cosplay as a lawyer, but I have to talk to uh, enough lawyers for this beat that I think I should get some CLE hours. I'm going to say this. If I hope you don't mind, uh, you put up on your Twitter page about extra points, which is a great uh, newsletter. And you kind of summarized a lot of what you cover and you're looking at the the possibility of uh, selling it or looking for somebody to become a financial partner. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to speak for you. You have a great newsletter. I hope that works out. And if there's anybody that listens to us and watches us, and we have some some dudes with some money, uh, you, <laughs> I hope everything works out for you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to kind of explain this, right? Like, I've had a great two years working with D1 Ticker. They're a great company that I think does a lot of important things in college athletics, and they've just decided, hey, you know, this, this, this you got a great product. It doesn't fit with our company anymore. We're, we're a different kind of company. We want to put that investment somewhere else. That's business. Can't be angry about that. Totally understand. And and running this kind of publication, it, it's too much work for one guy, especially a guy with little kids like I do. So, you know, maybe I'll end up working for Sports Business Journal or ESPN or Sportico in a couple of weeks. Maybe another publication buys this. Maybe somebody who's listening here that that you know wants to wants to dabble in a, in, in a business and or knows a thing or two about selling ads and I sell minority stake, that's fine too. But, you know, I, I'm not used to hitting the transfer portal myself. <laughs> I'm used to writing about it for other people. But I think one way or another, maybe after Christmas, 
I don't think the internet's done with me yet. I, I feel good. pretty good that, that I'm, I'm going to find a spot to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, you got a spot on this show anytime you want to come on and talk about what you do. And good luck. Keep us in touch. Great stuff as always, Matt. Thank you so much. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.